Welcome to Nest Church, and thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this word blesses you today. For more information, visit nestchurch.com. We hope to see you soon. And remember, you are loved. Go ahead and, and open up First Kings uh, chapter 19. Once you're there, give me another amen so I can know to continue. First Kings chapter 19. And then you should have your notepad out or maybe you write, take notes on your tablet. You could go ahead and do that as well. Maybe write this down there with me. Write this down. You're not done. You're not done. Get up and eat. You're not done. Get up and eat. Come on. You're not done. Get up and eat. You're not done. Get up and eat. Sometimes you just got to continue to hear that. You're not done. Get up and eat. I really thought I was going to have a whole different message today. And on Friday, um, God just has a way of doing stuff. And I went to 1 Kings 19, and everything in me fought to not go into 1 Kings 19 this week. But everything that I felt from the Lord was leading me to continue to jump into 1 Kings 19. So I just honored that, and hopefully... um, the Holy Spirit does what he needs to do today because in reality, I didn't want to go into 1 Kings 19. <laughs> so it has to be that the Holy Spirit just has a, a way that he wants to speak of this again. The title is, You're Not Done, Get Up and Eat. And I think that's a, an important title for today's message. This week, uh, this week, it's not like we needed to be reminded, but many were reminded again of mental illness. Another pastor took his life after a long fight of, of openly uh, suffering from depression and, and whatnot in and, and California. And he, and he ended up taking his life, leaving a, a beautiful family. But, you know, in the midst of all that, we don't have to look too far. You know, I started to think about this. Forgive me for my congestion and my sniffling and stuff like that. If it grosses you out, I love you. But it's either got to stay in or it comes out. You feel me? All right, now we got that out of the way. So we don't have to look uh, too far uh, to find people that are struggling and struggling with some very serious issues. In this gathering, just here today, uh, those that are here and some that are not here, obviously, in a gathering like today, I'm sure that I'm, I, I, I'm certain that some of us have some struggles in our lives. We have some struggles in our lives where some days are more difficult than others. You've ever been there where some days are just more difficult than others? Some days are just heavier than others. You know, how many are at a place or at the place, even now, where you feel where, where you're losing um, sense of hope? You're losing a sense of hope. And, and we could all relate to this, to losing a sense of hope. Maybe, maybe right now, currently, you're not there. Maybe you've never been there, but... But I could tell you we all know someone that has or that is there, <clears throat> that they've lost hope. And, and, and where all hope is just gone or, or where hope is just slipping away, you've, you've probably felt that before. Or for sure you know someone that their hope is slipping away. And, you know, when you think about the word hope, hope is a very interesting concept. Hope is an interesting word. Uh, I wrote these two things down. You could write them down if you want. Hope can be described as a feeling. Or expectation. To have a desire, right, for something, for something to happen, for someone, whatever it is. It could be a feeling of expectation and desire for blank. 
That's what hope can be. But hope doesn't just end there. If you continue to look at the word hope, hope can also be a feeling of trust. Hope has a lot to do, not just with the desire for something, but also a trust in something or in someone. That's what hope is. And so much of our feelings of losing hope or a loss of hope may come from the simple fact that we are losing or that we have lost faith. I feel like that sentence is so important. So I'm going to say it one more time. So much of our feelings of losing hope or a loss of hope may come from this fact that we are losing or that we have lost faith. I feel just because you're here today, you still have faith. And that's fine. I mean, faith the size of a mustard seed does great things. So, so you're like, I just, have hardly, I just have a little bit of faith. I'm barely making it. But do you know that barely making it hardly little bit of faith can move mountains too? Mustard seed faith moves mountains. So that's a good place to start at. Just because you're here, I know that there is some sort of amount of faith. You have faith in you. Maybe there's someone listening to the podcast that today clicked on it and they couldn't even drive over here because they've lost all hope. You know, there's people that feel so hopeless that they don't even have the energy to get up out of bed on certain days. And maybe a person like that is listening right now or will listen to it on a Tuesday or listen to it on a Thursday because they couldn't make it here or they, they live in another state. And, and we're going to speak to their hearts as well. Maybe it's because we're losing faith. Think, think, uh, think about this. To have no hope is to say I have lost all trust. If I don't hope, I've lost trust. And maybe you've lost trust in people. Maybe you've lost trust in yourself. Maybe you've lost trust in what the church is and maybe you've lost trust in God where there is, what is this trust, right? Where there is no reliability in anything that I'm telling you right now, in anyone that I'm telling you right now. Whether it's people, yourself, God, the church, there is no reliability, there is no truth, there is no ability or strength in any of these things that we just mentioned. When you lose hope, it's a very scary place to be at when someone is losing hope because People that lose hope could enter into great depths of depression. People that lose hope could enter into great depths of anxiety and fear. So if you feel like you have no hope today, I want to pray for you and we want to speak this word into your life. Because the last thing we want you to do is to go deep into an anxiety, a depression, or a fear that will not lead you to where God wants you to. But it will lead you to where sin, the flesh, and the enemy desires for you to go. So I want to speak with love to your heart. It's, it's so easy when you lose hope, you know, that you can give yourself over to, to something so important uh, that, you don't, that you fight to get there. And it's this, that you can give yourself over to loneliness. And you could give yourself over to isolation. And, and I feel like when you lose hope, that's one of the things that we do right away. We immediately run to a place where we're isolated and where we are lonely. And in this place of isolation and in this place of loneliness, I'll let the depression get the best of me. I'll let anxiety get the best of me. I will let all my, uh, my fears get the best of me. I will allow all the disappointments to get the best of me. And you end up in this dark place. And now it's a struggle to give you light again and to shine light on this. This is, this is a crazy thing because 
this is a real situation in a lot of people's lives. I was telling, I was saying in 930 Huddle to someone that uh, Charles Spurgeon would openly speak about and write, forgive me, about his struggle with heavy depression. Charles Spurgeon, to the point where he would say things like, I hope that no one ever has to deal with the battles of depression that I go to. Mind you, he's the prince of preachers. Spoken about still today, and he had a battle, an ongoing battle of heavy depression in his life. You know, what's going on and what's going on today in our world? The Lord took me to 1 Kings 19, and let's just read it. And uh, then, then we'll just, I feel like today's a, a great conversation to have. Like if we were sitting in a living room on a kitchen table at a restaurant, maybe not a restaurant, it's too, long, too loud, but in a place of great intimacy where, where, where two people could just have a great healthy conversation and even cry together. So that's what I feel like today is. In 1 Kings chapter 19, I'm going to read about the story of Elijah. And um, Elijah struggled with depression. Elijah struggled <laughs> at times with bouts, and I could say this, of, of mental illness. There, there is no doubt about it. I, I look at the life of Elijah, and I say I can't describe that anything else but that there was something going on in his mind. His mind was not healthy. Because how, why else would Elijah do something like this, especially after encountering what he just encountered? But let's just read it first. Chapter 19, verse 1, it says that when Ahab got home, I'm going to give you a, 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 well, you know what? Before I read chapter uh, 19, verse 1, I should give you a summary. Because before I read chapter 19, what's important is, uh, before this event that we're about to read, some amazing things took place. Some amazing things took place. Let me give you just a little bit of it, a, a snapshot of it. In chapter 17, you have homework to do maybe when you get home and study the book of 1 Kings and especially these chapters. In chapter 17, if you didn't know this, Elijah caused a drought. What a powerful thing to do, right? Okay. Like, <laughs> like there's times when like I wanted to go like maybe to the pool or to the beach and it rains. And I'm like, in Jesus' name, you stop raining. I'm going to... And then it just keeps raining. like... But, you know, you keep practicing <laughs> because that day that it happens and God just, you know, I'm going to be like, he listens. But this man, this man um, called the drought to the point where he spoke it directly to the king, King Ahab. And he says, there's going to be a drought in the land until I command it to rain again. What a man. You know, it's very interesting that Elijah would tell uh, King Ahab that there's going to be a drought. And there, it's, so, it's, it's, it's vital that you understand that there's a reason why Elijah would call for a drought. Because you have to remember that Baal was the god of the Canaanite religion. And Baal, if you study Baal, had authority, according to the Canaanite religion, over rain. Over fertility and over rain specifically. So when Elijah would tell Ahab, there will be no more rain until I say so, what Elijah is doing is he is also threatening his God. The absence of rain was an absence of your God, Ahab. So watch this. There will be no rain. And I could almost think where Ahab didn't listen to him and said, I want to see you try that because my God is the God of rain. And, and how wrong was he? So he was not only threatening Ahab, but the whole religion and the whole view of Baal. And why would he do that in chapter 17? Because there's going to be an amazing battle with the prophets of Baal coming up. Elijah would not just 
caused droughts, but just in case you did not know this, Elijah was also instructed. This is so important. Everything that Elijah did, if you study the passages clearly, he was always instructed. Elijah would also be instructed by the Lord to go hide in the Kareth brook. And in that brook, the Lord says, just wait there. And and, and he went as the Lord asked him. I said today during worship, I thought the Lord was saying that there's a yes. Let there be a yes again, right? Yes, Lord, I say yes. And he says yes, and he goes to this brook. And this is so beautiful. The ravens would bring him bread and meat, and he would drink the water from the brook. Like, that's awesome. Like, can you imagine that? You're there, you're hungry, and a raven comes, and there's a nice baked cake for you in his mouth or with his hands. And he drops it in front of you. And he's like, from heaven, for you. And the raven just leaves. And then, if that's not enough, he was also taken to a village. And he meets this widow, and he stays on the roof of the widow's house. But the son dies while Elijah is with this widow. And he takes the son, goes into the room, prays over the son, revives the son, brings him back to life, says, Mama, come back up here, check out your son. He's alive again. I mean, Elijah was not just your rinky-dinky individual. In chapter 18, the third year of the drought, the Lord told him yet again, notice everything I say to you. The Lord instructs him, the Lord instructs him, the Lord instru- is instructing him yet again. And this time, it is to pr- the third year of the drought. It's been three years now. To go back and present himself to King Ahab yet again. And this time, he was to give Ahab a challenge. And, 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 and you see, Jezebel... Ahab's wife at this time had killed many of the prophets of God, many of God's people. Elijah heard about it. And in this moment, God wanted to deal with this situation. God wanted to to work something out. So he goes to Ahab and he tells him that, I want you and I want your prophets to meet me in Mount Carmel. And the Lord does a great thing in Mount Carmel and he consumes Elijah's fire where Baal's, um, um, Elijah's altar that he drenched with water, where Baal's altar stayed unconsumed. His God didn't show up. Baal didn't show up, but the God of Elijah showed up. You've probably heard that story before, right? Think about some of the, why am I saying all these things? Think about some of the stories. These are just some of the things that Elijah encountered. These are just some of the things. I mean, that wasn't the only person that Elijah has revived that's not the only things that Elijah did. Elijah also, like Moses, parted waters and walked on dry land. Elijah was a very interesting person. I would say Elijah, please listen to this, Elijah um, experienced some great victories in his life. How many of you have experienced victories in your life? That's good. A lot of amens. You've experienced some great victories. Elijah has experienced great victories. He got to not just experience great victories, but I want you to know this. He also got to operate in the supernatural of God. He operated and experienced the supernatural of God. It's mind-blowing when you read the story of Elijah, all the great things. I mean, a bird really hasn't ever fed me bread. And I haven't really... Ask for the Lord to rain on fire physically, spiritually, yes, you know. Lord, let your fire come, whatever. But physically, I've never done that, and it's happened. I mean, Elijah has experienced some amazing things, some supernatural things. 
And then it leads us to chapter 19. Can you just read with me here after everything that I just said and so much that I did not say of some amazing and great victories that Elijah has just experienced, encountered, the supernatural of God. Wow, man, Elijah, you are something special. You are something else. Chapter 19, verse 1. When Ahab got home and he told Jezebel everything that Elijah had done. Remember, all the prophets of Baal are destroyed. All the children of Israel are on their knees now praying and worshiping the God of Elijah. So Ahab goes home and tells Jezebel, Elijah just had a great victory over us. Look at what he did. He, his, the fire consumed the altar. The people bowed down to him and his God. All the prophets of Baal are dead. He killed all the prophets, verse 2. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. He said, may the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you've killed them. Verse 3, Elijah was afraid. Everyone say afraid. He was filled with fear. And he fled <clears throat> for his life. Elijah is running with fear for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. He left the man that would travel with him. And he went on alone into the wilderness. Traveling all day, he sat down under a solitary broom tree. And he prayed that he might die. This is a man that just called fire from heaven is now calling for death in his life. You tell me that's not mental illness. You tell me he's not struggling in his mind. You tell me he's not going through something deep in his, in his life. Where one moment he's saying, fire fall on this altar. And the next day he's in the shade and says, if you could just take my life. That's crazy. I'm just saying. I mean, he went from A to Z real quick. All right. So it says here, I have had enough, Lord. Ever been there, huh? Take my life, for I'm no better than my ancestors who've already died. Verse 5, he laid down and he slept under a broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. He looked around and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and he laid down again. Another translation says, baked cake. Then the angel of the Lord came again and he touched him and he said, get up and eat some more. Look what he says. Or the journey ahead will be too much for you. So he got up, he ate, and he drank. And the food gave him enough strength. Check out this food, man. Check out this food. He had two meals, two pieces of cake, two glasses of water. He ate and drank and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai. He's mirroring, mirroring uh, Moses and the Israelites in the wilderness there. And the mountain of God, there he came to a cave where he spent the night. We're in verse 9. And the Lord said to Elijah, what are you doing here? And Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people, I've served God, but the people stink. <laughs> I'm not going to say nothing there. That's what he's saying. I serve God, but the people stink. I zealously, I've passionately served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down their altars, and killed every one of your prophets, and I am the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. Isn't this a beautiful thing? Where Elijah goes from a place of, I could almost hear God said, and what is it to you? What is the people's response 
what is that in effect to your response? Because you're not called to respond how people respond. You're called to respond in, oh, man. So, so Elijah had a whole problem with his external view. And what was really going on was he had a deep issue deep, deep down inside of him. And God was going to bring it out. I know you just experienced some great victories. But, my God, you're going, all right. Go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And Elijah stood there, and the Lord passed by, and a mighty wind hit the mountain. It was a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And then after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a sound of a gentle whisper, a still, small Voice. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in the cloak and he went out and he stood at the entrance of the cave. This is such an amazing story. It's so powerful. In verses 1, 2, and 3, when Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. And Jezebel sent the message, listen to me, may the Lord, may, may I be struck dead if I don't kill you the same way you killed them. Elijah was so afraid that he ran for his life and he went to a town in Judah and he left his servant there. Verses 1, 2, and 3, what's happening here is Elijah is running for his life. This is very interesting that Elijah is running for his life. Why do I say that this is interesting? Because you heard me when I was giving you a summary of chapter 17 and 18. If you study his life, Elijah would always go instantly to the places in which the Lord would instruct him to go. Elijah was very good at waiting for the Lord, and when the Lord instructed, Elijah would go. Elijah was actually very good at that. But there is something that is happening in chapter 19, verses 1, 2, and 3, that Elijah is not being instructed by the Lord, and yet he does something that the Lord has not necessarily instructed him in. That's a place of where I'm at. I just want to be instructed by the Lord. And in this particular moment, the word of the Lord in Elijah's, in Elijah's life is absent. Go ahead and read verses 1, 2, and 3. Where is the word of the Lord there? It's all over chapter 17. It's all over chapter 18. The Lord instructed him, go to the book Kharith. The Lord instructed him, go stand before Ahab. The Lord instructed him, go and... But in chapter 19, 1, 2, and 3, there is no specific instruction from the Lord. In this particular moment, the Lord and his word is absent necessarily. And he takes it upon himself to run while being afraid. I think that the worst time to run is when you are filled with fear. <laughs> and he's running with fear. And so I thought about this and I said, how does a man who has experienced such great victories in his life, now is running for his life. He did all that he did. Listen, he called a drought. He called the prophets and the king to the mountain of God. And then God shows up and Baal doesn't show up. And the prophets of Baal are destroyed. I mean, what a high Elijah must have been on. Find the man of God. Test me, I'll call fire. I mean, what a, what a high, what a thrill. I mean, did you, see, did you see what God has done? It's like when God uses you, you know, you just want to conquer the world. Like, God used me today, and it's like, I'm ready to take over, you know, and then he has to show you something else about you. I know. There's something else I got to work in you just when you thought that you were going to, you know what I'm saying? And I, I just think about this, like, wow, what a high he must have been on. And then he gets a word from Jezebel. He gets a word from one of her messengers and she threatens him to, and, and, and instantly when she hears, when he, Elijah, hears the threat of Jezebel, I mean, instantly, instantly, what does he do? He enters into a dark place. The Elijah that I read in chapter 17 and 18 should have just said, tell her to bring it. Because she didn't show up. 
on the mountain like I asked her to. Her husband did. He saw what happened. Maybe she needs an example too. Tell her to show up to the mountain of God. I'll do it again. But he doesn't do that. He hears the threat and he runs for his life, immediately enters a dark place. I believe, please listen to this. I believe it had less to do with Jezebel than, than what we think it did. Well, like, oh, the Jezebel and the Jezebel spirit. Okay, I get it. But I believe this is more than just Jezebel. I believe that when Elijah heard Jezebel's threat, it wasn't that he was so concerned for Jezebel. I believe what Elijah felt was he was filled again with great disappointment. I think disappointment in his heart is what actually, this is just what I think. When I get to heaven, I'll ask him. I think what happened to him was great disappointment entered his heart when he heard what Jezebel was saying. And when great disappointment entered his heart, he immediately runs and he's immediately in a dark place. Why is great disappointment falling upon Elijah? Because he notices that, wow, God just showed up and still there is no turning away. They're still going to fight God. God just did all these great things. How many of you have experienced great victories in your life? And yet, all these people are going to continue to go back to their sinful old ways. And I think that tore Elijah's mind up. I believe he was disappointed. Write this down. Because he saw the reality that nothing had really changed. <laughs> he experienced, okay, maybe, maybe if I relate it to your life, you'll understand this way. When you experience such great victories in your life, and after experiencing such a great victory, you say, surely things are going to change after this. Ever been there? And then a day passes, maybe a week passes, maybe a month passes, the stuff comes right around again. You're like, what? I just experienced victory, and again, this thing has not changed? I believe that that affected Elijah. I believe what affected Elijah was that, yes, she sent a messenger to taunt him, but what happened was disappointment started to grow because after such a great victory, surely things are going to change. And then he comes to the reality, wait a minute, even after everything that just happened, still things are the same. You've ever felt like that? That you thought your breakthrough was there, you thought the miracle was there, you thought you saw a light at the end of the tunnel, and you woke up another day, and what comes out of your mouth is, it's still here, I'm still dealing with it. It's still presenting itself. It does not mean that the victory you just had didn't have any worth. It just means that some things are still there in front of you and they haven't necessarily changed. What's your response to that? What's my response to that? I know what my response is when the fire falls. I'm waving a banner and I'm screaming and I'm yelling and I'm running and I'm telling everyone, come and see this for yourself. But what about when I thought after the great miracle, after I saw the great sign and wonder, I thought for sure things were going to start changing and yet nothing had really changed. And I think that what happened there to Elijah was he was moved with great disappointment. Can you imagine doing everything that was asked like Elijah did? Taking it on, experiencing great success in doing so and being obedient, you feel good, you're obedient. But when everything settles, the very thing that you thought would be handled, 
The very thing that you thought would be taken care of rises up again and tells you, I'm still here. I'm still here. You see it, you feel it, you hear it. Immediately you begin to think, I thought this would have ended after all of this. I thought I would have had victory over this. Listen, you experience such great success in your obedience, but then in a moment you get this reality. Wait a minute. There are things that are surrounding me, that are confronting me, and some of these things don't change. I think Elijah wanted a massive, because Elijah was the man that constantly prayed for revival in the land. And I think he wanted a massive external display of change. But the Lord wanted a massive internal display of change in him. This is the moment when you say, man, I feel like nothing has really changed. This is the moment which will speak greatly of us. When we're faced with disappointment, you know, Disappointment in which we thought we had overcome with God's help. The question is, do we run with fear when we're disappointed? Or, don't miss this, do we stay put to hear from God yet again? Disappointments in life will always come. Get this philosophy, or if it's a theology, get this theology out of your mind that when you come to Christ, there will be no more disappointments in life. No, 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 no. Disappointments will continue to come. Disappointments will continue to present themselves before you. Disappointment in which you thought was done. Do you run for your life or do you stay put and hear from God and do you say these words, what Lord will you instruct me in now? It's kind of like what we were saying now in worship. Lord, I say yes yet again. What is it, Lord? Yes. Do you lose hope because of the disappointment that seems unfair to you? How many of you feel like there's things in your life that are unfair to you and you are losing hope because of that disappointment? Or do you remain hopeful that even when things seem to have not really changed, I will remain obedient, faithful to hear his word again in my life and I will say those words yet again. I'll go where you send me, Lord. So then when the audience says, but wait a minute, why do you still go where God sends you even though the things in front of you has still not changed? Because I am not determined by the things around me changing me. I am determined by what he speaks into me. That, that's a powerful moment for every single one of us. I believe many of us can relate to this. Where disappointments can cause us to run, run to fear, run to depression, run to anxiety, run to isolation. We're all capable of dealing with this. If you're in this room, like, oh, I'm not capable of it. I don't know about that. We're all capable of dealing with one of those things, with fear and depression, anxiety and isolation and all its loneliness. I believe it. Why, why? Why are we all capable? Because if the man that can call fire and rain from heaven and can revive the dead and can part seas, suffer from his mind, I know that there are some of us in this room that could also struggle as well. Where you might be saying to yourself, how did I get here after experiencing all that over there? Here's what I wrote down. Maybe God is doing this in order for us to see that our hope never rests in the external. 
that experiences and encounters come and go. That we can't place our hope on moments of the past or even on moments of the present, though they may be all great things. But God may be showing us that our hope can only be placed in the one thing that is to be internal. So, so what happens when all the external things fail you? Wait a minute. So much, so much good has happened. So much that God has done. But now Jezebel is saying, what? What, what happens when everything fails you? When, when the ongoing battle continues around you? When the hope that you had in your surroundings, right? My goodness, it just, on the fire, is still scorched. I mean, the smoke is still... Elijah is struggling in his mind and the fire is still, the smoke of the fire is still on Mount Sinai. He didn't even give it time to settle. Instantly, like, what happens when the hope that you had in your surroundings now begins to collapse on you? Have you ever hoped on something or on someone that eventually it collapsed on you? The one thing, the one person that I hoped in, they failed me. It failed me. I'm sure many of us here have been there. When that which you've hoped for has failed you, with that in who you hoped in has failed you. And now you're at a place, you're like, well, what do I do now? What do I do? Because that really affects my faith. That really affects my trust. That in what I'm hoping for has collapsed on me. And all we have now, when everything around you seems to fail, what does Elijah have? Now Elijah can't talk about the mountain and how it rains with fire. Now Elijah can't talk about the waters and how they parted. Now Elijah can't talk about the boy and how he raised him from the dead. Now Elijah can't talk about any of that. Because all of those things have failed him right now at this point of his life. And all that he has now is, well, what do you have to say about the one who lives in you? When everything outside has failed you, what about the one who lives in you? Is my hope in that he is still alive in me and that he still speaks to my spirit? Is my hope still in that I'm guided under his instruction? See, there are moments that disappointments come and you expect to hear loudly from the Lord. And instead, he remains silent. Like my brother said um, this week, he said, a teacher is always quiet during a test, he said. It's true. I wish my teacher would walk by. I was a horrible test taker. I wish my teacher would walk by me and be like, A. (laughs) Igneous rock. Okay. I I was bad at that, you know what I mean? But it doesn't make sense because then there's no value in that grade when I get it. A teacher's quiet, right? And Elijah, and I could almost sense where God is telling Elijah, Elijah, I was there when you caught the drought. I was there when you raised a dead boy. I was there when you caught fire from heaven. But will you see me there in the disappointment? And will you see me even when you don't hear me? It's very easy to say God was here when we hear him, but is God there when you don't hear him? Elijah, is my word in you? Even when you don't hear me give you a word. I believe there are times where God doesn't give us a word. Why? Because he wants to see if you can give yourself a word. Is the word in you, Elijah? Could it be that he's teaching us as he was teaching Elijah that it may be easy to celebrate me and have hope in moments of when you win publicly? Could it be that? I'll say it again, that he's teaching us, as he was teaching Elijah, it may be easy to celebrate me and to have hope in me 
in the moments that you win publicly, but are you winning in the private moments when you're disappointed and now you need to fight the battles of your mind? Can you see me there and can you celebrate me there? It's very easy to say, oh, my God reigns when the fire falls and all the prophets of Baal are destroyed. But how about when you see that there are some things in front of you that you thought were going to change forever that are not changed and disappointment hits you and your mind gets the best of you. Now there at the depth of your mind and the things that you're thinking, will you see me there? And I believe he was teaching them something powerful. Elijah, I see hopefulness in the external, visible scale of things. You should write this. But I've seen your hopelessness in the internal, grander, invisible scale of things. I think God was telling Elijah this. I see your public win. Good job. But I want to deal with you in the place that you're losing privately. How many of you are winning publicly, but you're losing privately? And you're going to have to face the fact that you can't fake it anymore. You're going to have to give that private loss to the Lord so you could start winning privately again. This is where I believe these big pastors come to the place where they come to the end of the rope. And they killed themselves. Leaving everyone in the faith questioning, how can that happen to him? Because it's one thing to win publicly. It's another thing to win privately. It's one thing to call fire from heaven. But there's another thing to call fire in your heart. I think Elijah was dealing with that. You know why God was dealing with Elijah in this moment? Because God in the next few chapters is going to take him. I got to prepare you if you're going to. I got to prepare you and I got to prepare the next person. And you won't be able to father and mentor the next person until I deal with these things. You see, God is dealing in Elijah in all of these areas in his life because Elisha is not present yet. So he needed to deal with Elijah because now in the next few chapters, you're going to meet a young man called Elisha, and you've got to bring him up in your ways. But you've got to deal with these things before Elisha enters into the sonship that I'm calling him to enter. I see your public win, but I see your private loss. Your words have shown great victory, but your mind has entered great defeat. You've been there? Huh? You've spoken great things? But your mind is speaking another thing. <laughs> How many people run to isolation with fear even after witnessing a public display of God's power? Remember the question I asked a little while ago? How can Elijah run with fear for his life after experiencing such great power, such great things over here? Look what I just said. How many people run to isolation with fear after witnessing such public display of God's power? Because it was never in the physical things. It was always the issue in the spiritual, in the heart, in the eternal things. Stuff that's in here. 
I could fool you guys every single Sunday morning. You know how I know I could fool you guys every single Sunday morning? I know, you would hate for your pastor to tell you this publicly. Because I've done it for 18 years. I've done this for 18 years, so I could fool you for another 18 years. So come who I am. It's like a teacher who's having a bad day. They get into the classroom. They have to put their bad day away. Why? Because I got to hang out with the kids. I could fool you for another 18 years. But what good is anything in that public display if privately there's a man that's losing? Some of you guys want to have great victories publicly and want to be used to do great things publicly. But God is still chipping away at things internally. And he's not going to give you a platform that you desire, though it's there. And he sometimes he'll let you fret with it, but until he's dealing with the things that are in here. Because why? We could fool anyone we want. But there's one person that we can't fool. Elijah, Elijah, you experienced my great power. But in a moment, because of disappointment, you're running with great fear. The truth is, there's a lot of people struggling inwardly. Even though they've, they're being used outwardly. I believe that. I look at my social media accounts. And I'm not judging people. But I'm sure some of those people, if you really dig down deep, there's things inside of their lives that they're not being open about. There are people that are struggling inwardly. Even though they're being used outwardly. You could say it's God's grace or you could say it's the way God's dealing with them. They can have a successful public ministry while at the same time have a painful, unsuccessful private ministry. Who do you want to be? You want to be someone who succeeds in the public ministry or do you want to be someone that succeeds in the private ministry? I'll tell you right now that if you succeed in the private ministry, the generations that come after you will be more powerful than any generation that ever walk in this land. But when your aim is just to succeed in your public ministry, you're going to raise up a bunch of orphans that don't know how to walk in victory in the private life and just know how to show victory in the public life. Man. That's why, like, when I talk to some of you guys, and, man, I'm struggling with my mind, I sit with you and say, so do I. Why? Because I've got nothing to front. Nothing to fake. The honesty of it, it will take us and move us forward. A lot of people are struggling. The Lord doesn't want to leave us there. He doesn't want to leave that. What I'm talking about right now, he doesn't want to leave that stuff alone. You know what the Lord wants to do? He wants to walk with you in it. Like, have you ever thought about this? Like, why did Daniel have to go to the lions then? Why did the three Hebrews have to go to the fire? Why did Joseph have to go to the pit, thrown into slavery, caused it to be a rapist, thrown into prison, all these things? Why did Jesus get to, like, I could go story after story and say, why, 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 why? But in every single one of those stories, I'll highlight that the Lord was walking with them in every single one of those moments. See, the external circumstance never changed, but there was something happening inside every single one of them. There was a song being sung. There was a dance being danced. Why? Because God was dealing with the internal victories, and we were being so caught up reading the pages of just trying to find where are their external victories at. The Lord doesn't want to leave us there. He wants to walk. So verses 4, 5, 6, 7, and 8 says this, because we've got to move, man. It says, 
Then he went alone into the wilderness. Everyone, how did he go into the wilderness? Yeah, he did. Is that a bad thing or a good thing? Oh, it's a bad thing. He's alone, right? Not necessarily all the time. He went alone into the wilderness. And he was traveling all day. And he sat down under a solitary boom tree. And he prayed. He prayed. He prayed. He prayed one prayer, guys, that I might die. I've had enough of this, Lord. I've had enough. I just want to die. Take my life, Lord. I'm no better than my ancestors, my fathers who lived before me. And he laid down. He slept under the tree again. And as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. And he looked around. And there beside him, he heard some. He, 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 and the head, at his head, he saw some bread baked on some hot stones. And there was some water in a jar. So he ate and he drank. And he laid down yet again. And the angel came again to him and touched him and says get up and eat everyone say get up and eat get up and eat some more and the journey that you're ahead the journey that's ahead for you will be too much for you so he got up again and he ate and he drank and the food that he ate gave him strength to travel for 40 days and 40 nights and he came to a cave where he spent the night you're not done get up and eat you're not done get up and eat you're not done. Get up and eat. And in and, and, and verses 4, 5, 6, and 7, you're not done. Get up and eat. Please notice that Elijah is, is, is traveling, right? He's traveling. He's a traveler. My goodness, he's a prophet. That's what he's doing. But now as he's traveling, he leaves his servant behind. And for the first time in his life, we see Elijah traveling alone. Since when, Elijah, do you travel alone? Where's your right-hand man? Why isn't he with you? He's traveling alone. He, his servant, has, he leaves him and he enters now what is called the wilderness. Everyone say wilderness. He enters a wilderness alone. And the wilderness is a personal and intimate place for each and every single one of us. Elijah had to enter the wilderness. And I'm going to tell you something right now with love and boldness. Ready? Every single one of you, if you haven't yet, get ready. Because the Lord will cause all of you to enter a wilderness. Yes, he will. You want to know how I know? Moses went through a wilderness, Elijah went through a wilderness, and Jesus, before anything public ever happened in his life, had to go through a wilderness. There was not a public ministry unless there was first an introduction of the wilderness in the life of Jesus. Jesus' wilderness introduced his ministry. Your wilderness might be what it might be what introduces your ministry. You see, his ministry had begun, but his true ministry, what was Elijah's true ministry? To stand before Ahab and Jezebel? What was Elijah's true ministry? To part the waters? What was Elijah's true ministry? To rain fire from heaven and to cause droughts? I'll tell you what Elijah's true ministry was. It was to have a son named Elisha. How do I know that? Because Elijah doubled, 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 quadrupled the works that Elijah did. Whatever miracles Elijah did, Elisha put him to shame. But yet we speak of the father, Elijah, and not as much to the son, Elisha. Because his ministry, his print was on the son, Elisha. His whole ministry was to get him ready for what was going to come to Elisha. Because in Elisha, the next king and the next prophets were going to be anointed. And I'm going to bring forth a reformation in Israel through Elisha. But I need to do it through the father called Elijah so that Elisha could be healthy. I promise you this. Elijah's ministry was more about Elisha than it was about anything else that Elijah did. I believe that. Maybe not if you don't think so, but I do believe that. There's a lot of good things in between there. But here he comes and he's entering a wilderness and it's a personal and intimate place for him. And it's a personal and intimate place for you. It's where, write this down, the wilderness. It's where your true self comes out. You want to know what Elijah's true self was? He enters the wilderness and what does he begin to pray? Lord, take my life. That sounds different. 
then Lord, let there be fire on this altar. Then Lord, I'm going to throw my, my garments and let this sea split. And Lord, I pray that you would raise this person from the dead. His prayer sounds different in the wilderness. His prayer went from consuming fire on the altar to Lord, take my life. Why? The true heart came out in the wilderness. How about if I tell you this, maybe Elijah's prayer of Lord take my life in the wilderness was actually a prayer that he had hidden for years before, but it didn't come out until he was in the wilderness. And God says, when are you going to pray that prayer? It's going to take all of this to get to the wilderness for you to pray that prayer? Then watch what I'm going to do. Because I love you, I'm going to take you through all of this so that you could pray that prayer. God, that's good. It's good to me because I feel like I'm in a darn wilderness my whole life, and you know what? The wilderness is worth it. He's praying for his death. Elijah, listen, listen. Eli, I have so much to say, so let me get through this. Elijah thought he was done. He thought his journey is over. Elijah thought that he was at the end of himself. A reality, please, a reality that we will face numerous times in our lives where the Lord wants us to be at the end of ourselves. Elijah at the wilderness I'm at the end of myself. When will you come to the place where you say, what? I'm at the end of myself. Does that speak to any of you? Notice how the Lord is beginning to walk now. He's walking in the issues of his mind. Verses 5, 6, and 7, right? He laid down, get up and eat. He, took, he, looked, he, he looked around and beside his head was the bread and was the, on the stones and the water and the angel said again, get up and eat. And again, he got up and eat. And he said, because the journey ahead will be too much to, for you. I, I want you to recognize here, what did God send? God sent his messenger. Everyone catch that? The Lord sends his messenger. Why would the Lord send his messenger? Why would the Lord send his angel? I believe to speak into what Jezebel's messenger spoke to him. See, sometimes it's just about counteracting the voice of lies in your mind with the voice of truth. So Elijah was listening to lies from the messengers of um, Jezebel. And God had to bring his messenger so that now he could, he could substitute the lies to the truth. And sometimes it's just about grabbing those lies and, man, interacting with them and destroying them with the voice of truth. God's messenger is speaking into and over what Jezebel's messenger spoke into his mind. Twice he tells Elijah to get up and eat. And he gives him baked cake and meat from heaven's kitchen. I I, love, I would love that. Like, I'm being very honest and very jealous right now. I wish I could wake up in the morning and God's like, smell that? It was made in heaven. Like, I've, I've tasted mercy's goods. Mercy can cook some heavenly meals. But, like, I want one that God really makes. Like, I want to just be there and God's like, this is from my kitchen. Like, I want to see that. Like, manna, you know when they would wake up in the wilderness and have manna? That's crazy. There's, man, I almost went, I could have gone off on a preaching there. Get up and eat. He tells him twice. Get up and eat. The journey ahead is too much for you. It's a reminder. Please listen to this. It's a reminder to your life that your journey is not done. And it's too much for you. Your journey, do you guys know this? Your journey is too much for you? So because your journey and my journey and our journey is too much for us, guess what? We need to what? Get up and eat. Your journey is too much for you. Get up and eat. Your journey is too much for you. Get up and eat. It's a reminder. And it reminds me of the great words of Jesus in John 6. Unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you will have no life in me. 
The angel says, you need to eat and drink. And Jesus says, you need to eat and drink. If you're going to make it, you need to eat and drink. And Jesus says, if you're going to make it, you need to eat and drink. You think it's a coincidence? You think they're echoing the same thing for, for no reason? Listen, sometimes the wilderness is just for this. Please write this down in your notes. Sometimes the wilderness is just for this. What? Everyone say what? To teach us how to eat and drink again. Eating my flesh and drinking my blood is more about taking you to a place of intimacy where you never hunger again for what any other has to offer and only desire the bread and water you have found in me. Your journey's too much. Get up and drink. The wilderness can be just for this one thing. You need to start learning how to eat and drink again. I know that this food was special. You want to know how I know this food was special? It wasn't just bre baked bread set up on hot stones with a jug of cold water. You want to know how I know this food was special? Everyone, put your eyes on verse 8. Verse 8 says, so he arose, he ate and he drank, and he went in the strength of that food for 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, which was Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. Can I, can I be honest with you? There is no water and there is no cake in this world that can fill you for that amount of days while burning off that amount of calories. Because if you study it, it's about 250 plus miles that this, and there's no cars and there's no private jets and there's no helicopter. Elijah is walking over 250 miles. You just do the math and you think about how, about how many calories that man is burning. There's no way that this cake and this water fills him for all, that amount of time. Why? Why am I saying this? Because Elijah arising, I'm learning, listen, has nothing to do with his physical nutrition. But the Lord allows him to go to the wilderness to reveal how unhealthy his spiritual nutrition was. The journey that we're on isn't promised to be easy. And I don't want you to ever confuse that. Not in this church. It's never promised to be easy. The journey ahead, the angel says, the, the messenger says, is too much for you. Actually, it's the opposite. Hey, come to Christ. This journey is easy. No, come to Christ. This journey is hard. This journey is difficult. Actually, let's use the word. This journey is too much for you, and it's too much for any of us. So what do I do then? So you need to get up and learn how to eat and drink again if you're going to make it through the disappointments that the journey brings, the attacks and the hurt and the loneliness and the issues of your mind. Until you don't eat and drink, you won't make it through the journey that it's going to take you through. But you got to eat and drink. Why? Because you have this mind. Why? Because you have these attacks. Why? Because you have these disappointments. But I thought when God came to my life, all those things are over. No. Man, he becomes alive in you. And what happens is now, he becomes sufficient. And the mind doesn't. And the battle doesn't. And the attack doesn't. And the disappointment doesn't. But he becomes the fulfillment. Eat and drink. Eat and drink. Eat and drink. Eat and drink. Listen. It will eventually all destroy you. All of this stuff will destroy you if you haven't come to the place where you're at the end of yourself, drinking and eating, not from the public places of victory, but from the private, intimate meals in the quiet places. What are the greatest moments of your life? They should be the intimate, quiet places where God shows you who he is. Oh, one time I preached in front of a thousand people in this conference. The heck with that. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of positive preachers and speakers that do the same thing. 
that are so demented inside, but they're all about positive energy and they're all whacked out inside. So don't brag about the Colosseum that you filled up, but talk to me about the tears when you were on your knees when no one saw you and God was revealing his heart to you. Elijah, I saw your public win, but now I'm going to teach you how to win privately like you've never won. Release what's inside in the wilderness. Get up and eat because it's a lot for us. It's too much for us, so you need to eat for the journey ahead. I see, I see the hopefulness in the external, visible scale of things, but now I see your hopelessness in the internal, invisible scale of things. You preach good, but you think wrong. You know how many times God's told me that? Oh, you preach good today, but sure went home thinking wrong. You got some pats in your back today, but I'm giving you a punch in the stomach today. Sure did say a lot of good things, but you sure did say a lot of bad things in here. So where did you really win, Regal? Because you had an altar call and 15 people were in tears? Or because you're driving home in tears because you know that that wasn't where you won? Because you're losing when you're driving home because inside you're still miserable and in pain. I need to deal with what's inside so then you can start to enjoy what's outside. Elijah, I see what you've done. Elijah, I see what you've done. Elijah, I see the public victories. Elijah, I see the grand scale of things that you've done. And I see how everyone speaks of you. But internally, I see something that I got to deal with. And eat, 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 and drink again. Eat and drink again. And Jesus says, if you don't eat of this body and drink of this blood, you will never truly find life. You won't find life. You won't find life. You won't find life. Your life is not in what you could offer in your gift. Your life is found by the meals you eat in the private places. Whew. Should I keep going? All right. It says here, so he went to a cave where he spent the night, and the Lord said to him, what are you doing? And Elijah said, I've passionately, zealously served the Lord God, but the people of Israel... They've broken your covenant, and they've torn down the altars, they've killed every one of your prophets, and I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me. Oh, Elijah. What does he sound like? Oh, look at my story. Pastor Leo used to always, at this point, always sing, nobody knows, remember the stuff? He always used to say that. I would always wonder why he did that. Go out, he says, and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord said. Elijah stood there. And the Lord passed by, and a mighty windstorm came, and then the blast tore up the rocks, then an earthquake, then a, then a fire, and then after all that was over, the Lord came and spoke in a giant whisper. What are you doing here? Everyone say, what are you doing here? It's similar to what he asks Adam. Adam, where are you? Elijah, what are you doing? It's not necessarily because he did not know why Elijah was there. He did not know where Adam was. It's because I don't think Elijah actually knew where he was. Neither did Adam. Verse 10 shows us exactly where Elijah was. Where was Elijah? Lord, kill me. Where was Elijah? Look at verse 10. I have been so passionate for you, O God, but the people that you gave me stink. And? What does that say about you, though? I'll deal with them. But what does that say about you? <laughs> 
Oh, the children of Israel have forsaken, they've torn down, they've killed. I don't understand. I've been passionate for your work, but everything stinks. People stinks. And what does he say next? I am all alone. The greatest lie that will be served to you when you enter into a place of darkness is this word right here. I just feel like I'm all alone. That's a, when someone says that, listen, because it's more about where they're at than where everyone else is not at. I just feel like I'm all alone. It's very easy to get to a dark place and forget the past and how the Lord was, had provided and how God used Elijah, but instead, what is he voicing? I'm left all alone. He's lonely, guys. He's isolated, guys. And what has Elijah done in his loneliness and in his isolation? Guys, he has accepted a lie as truth. I'm all alone. The truth is you're not alone. And the truth is don't isolate yourself and don't fall into such darkness that you begin to take lies as truth because you're not alone. Did you know that Elijah said this without knowing that he was not alone? You're not alone. Uh, Come here. Flip your page. Go to verse 18. Go to verse 18 just just to show you something real quick. We'll put it up on the screen. Look at chapter 19, verse 18. It says this. I probably didn't give it to them. Forgive me. Yet, this is the Lord speaking, I have reserved 7,000 in Israel whose knees have not bowed down to that God, to Baal, and every mouth has, and those mouths have not kissed them yet. I'm all alone, and the Lord's like, what do you mean you're all alone? There's, there's 7,000 more that are over there. They're waiting for you to show up. You're not alone. <laughs> Can you imagine being like, oh, my bad. That I was alone. You know, it was a dark moment, God. <laughs> Sometimes when I feel I'm all alone, some of the greatest moments are when those people that show me I'm not alone reach out. I'm like, I'm not alone. I'm such an idiot. I'm not alone. I'm not alone. They reached out. They're, that's my brother. That's my sister. I'm not alone. Elijah's on a mess. Elijah's like, oh, my God, I'm all alone. And he's like, you're not alone, fool. I've kept 7,000 men in Israel, those same people that you complained about. I've kept 7,000. 7,000 of them, their knees have not bowed, their mouths have not kissed them. You're not alone. What is Elijah doing? He's learning that God is not just the God of the spectacular. At times, the work of God, as one commentary says it, is experienced in a still small voice, in the sound of a gentle stillness. Elijah had called, yes, for lightning, and he called for fire, national revival. But what Elijah did not see was that God was at work, and he was still moving, he was still doing things. And he's in the work of many other people's lives. Look at verse 18. God is still doing stuff. Hey, I want you to know something. Come on. You're not done. You're not done because God's not done. Get up and eat. Elijah had to learn again. And he had to learn something specifically. And it's what? You need to learn, Elijah, how to hear again in the stillness of what is the Lord and not just in the encounters and the experiences that you have. How many people, your Christianity is just highlighted by Sunday services? That is Elijah's problem. Your Christianity is just like, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. Why? Because you come to church on Sunday? That's not why we're a Christian. You're just doing what Christians do, but that doesn't mean you're a Christian. Man, when you are a Christ follower, you are a Christian on Monday night and on Tuesday morning and on Thursday afternoon and on Friday in the middle of that workroom when they're talking perverse day. You're a Christian throughout the whole week, not just when you come and you check off the attendance. And Elijah had to learn. It wasn't just in your public encounters. Man, you need to learn how to hear from me and understand me and recognize what 
learn what I'm speaking. I, you, can't just, you can't just see it in the encounters and the experiences. I can bet that he was an expecting man when he was in the cave to hear from the Lord in the windstorm. Ooh, and the rocks are crackling. He's like, oh, my God, it's going to fall on me. Surely God's going to speak. And the wind stops. He's like, oh, I didn't hear anything. Like, what do you want? Like, we could make the church better. I could put smoke machines up here and lights that go like this. And that's not bad. Those are not bad things. I could do that. We could do that. Those are, those are it, it makes it fun. It's not bad. I'm not bashing that. It's good. But that doesn't solve the problem. And the smoke doesn't solve the problem. Or if I talk monotone or if I get passionate, it doesn't solve the problem. None of these things solve the problem. It's not in this encounter, man. It's something different. It's something deeper. And I bet he was expecting to hear it in the earthquake when that came. And then fire came. And then God's like, eh, not there. And then God's teaching him, can you hear me when it's quiet? Seriously, how many of us have to really take an inventory and check and say, I could only hear, man, pastor, when you speak. You could only hear when it's loud. How about when it's quiet? Can you hear from God then? How about when you're struggling? Can you hear God from, for yourself? Let's go over this again. You know, God is teaching him something very important. In the chapters before, there's a lot of things going on, as we've mentioned. And it said that Elijah would go wherever the Lord said to present himself and go. In chapter 19, Elijah hears from Jezebel's messengers. Instead of hearing from God, he hears from another messenger. And he runs in fear and he prays to die. And he enters what I believe is mental defeat, depression, and isolation. And the Lord had to settle him. And teach him to hear from him again in the place where he was still waiting, hopeful, not running hopelessly, searching for answers and things that the Lord was not found in. The lights and the smoke and the, all that stuff is good, but don't look for God in those things. Elijah's journey was not done. He had to anoint Elisha, <clears throat> Hazel, Jehu, Jehu. And in these three men, I shared this earlier, God was ushering in a new political and religious order to succeed the old, which would eventually have the final victory over the worship of Baal. Elijah was not done. Elijah, Baal's going to be destroyed, but I need you to strengthen Elisha. How about you, worship team? How about you? Are you done? You struggle. Maybe someone here struggles with mental illness. You need to talk about it. We gotta get you to a place where, you, where you're getting the help for it. You can't close yourself up to that. If you're in private places of death, come on, you need to find someone that you can speak to. I'm telling you right now that, that you're not done. I'm actually giving you what God gave Elijah. I'm telling you instead to get up and eat. Because yes, the journey ahead of you is too much for you. So because it's too much for you, you need to get up and eat. You'll never be able to continue unless you're strengthened in him. Amen? When you're eating and drinking, your fulfillment, your strength, your hope is found in eating at his table. All right. I feel like I'm done. Uh, let's turn to Romans 5 and I'm going to wrap it up. 
Romans 5, I'm not sure what your translation calls it. I think on top of chapter 5, um, verse 3, it probably says something in bold. Does it say something in bold in chapter 5, verse 3? What does it say? Faith triumphs in trouble. That's good. You know, if I were to um, um, subhead this, like Charlene just shared hers was, I'd probably call this the development of hope. I'd probably, that's probably what I would subhead it. The development of hope. And then maybe like a subtitle or like in quotations or whatever you want to call it, I'll put through faith in trials. So what I'm saying is that there's, there's growth in our hope which comes through faith in our trials. Do you guys see what I'm saying? Hope grows when trials come. So trials need to come to make sure that you're hoping in the right thing. Why does God bring trials? Because he's going to highlight your hope. This is not fair. I feel like it's one trial after another trial. He's strengthening your hope. I feel like trials are meant to point at our hope. Hope can either grow or they can minimize depending on your faith in each trial. Amen? Let's just read through the text here. Romans 5 says this. I'm going to just read. Actually, you know what? Let me read 1 through 5. It says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We believe this. Through whom also we have access by faith into his grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope, in hope for the glory of the Lord. I love that. That when we remain in faith, it builds hope in us. Listen, our faith takes us now. This is crazy. Our faith is what takes us into tribulations. So through whom, verse 2, also we have access by faith into this grace which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. All these things are positive. Access by faith, hope in the glory of God. Verse 3. And not only that. Oh, but we also glory in tribulations. Why did you have to mention that? Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, character, hope. Now, hope does not disappoint. You felt disappointment? It wasn't because of hope. All disappointment is rooted in hopelessness. Hope, true hope, doesn't disappoint. Because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So I I read Romans 5 and I wrote this down in my own notes. I said, my faith will take me to enter into tribulations. Your faith will take you to enter into tribulations. But through tribulations, there is a building up of perseverance, of character, and of hope. You've been through tribulation. You've been through disappointments. But I believe that scripture is telling us something here. That the Lord wants to give us an internal hope. That when all tribulation and disappointment comes, there is a hope that is rooted that never disappoints. What is, what is the author of Romans? What is Paul really trying to tell us here as we dig deeper into this? I believe that it's internal. I believe what Paul is saying is something that's internal. It's a private internal victory he's taking us to. Hope does not disappoint. It's internal. Why? Because the love of God which has been poured out in our hearts. See that? You see the importance of Scripture? By the Holy Spirit who's given it to us. So this question just comes out for what it is. How many of us need this hope that doesn't disappoint? How many of us need to recognize, hey, you're not done. Get up and eat. There's a hope that doesn't disappoint. 
that when nothing seems to have changed around you, he takes you to a place like the wilderness where there is the greatest change taking place in you. Nothing's changing. What do you mean nothing's changing? Go search within. Everything's changing. Wow. Nothing's changing here. And God's like, yeah, there is. Look inside. Oh, yeah. Things are changing inside my soul. Inside my heart. Come on, Nest. Your journey is not done. How many of you need to get up and eat? Yes, because the journey ahead is too much for you. So you got to get up and eat. My message is titled, You're Not Done. Get up and eat. Hallelujah. If God allows me next week, I'll talk about three Ps. Relying on God's presence, on God's provision, and on God's power. But for right now, let's just sit, sit here in this moment. And I want you to examine yourself. How many of you are at this place that God is saying to you, you're not done. Get up and eat. There's a hope that I want to put in you that does not disappoint. Come on, I want, I want, if you want to stand with me, go ahead and stand with me. We're wrapping this up today. But I want to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit here. If that's you today, can you come up to this altar? Can we pray faith with you, strength with you? Maybe there's some people that have come through this. And they know exactly what you're going through. I, I believe their words over your life are going to help you today. Any of you feel? Any of you feel like, I just, I just need prayer? I need to get up and eat. I, I, I'm in the wilderness and I'm recognizing why my true self is coming out. And I, I need to allow him to put this hope in me. This journey is going to be too much for me. I know he's got to place the hope in me. I got to start winning privately. I got to start winning privately. Come on, the altar's open. If that's you, I want, I want you to... Anyone? No one? I'm not forcing you. If, if you guys feel, I want to pray for you. If not, we'll close off in prayer. Amen. Some people that know exactly what I'm talking about know exactly what I'm talking about. You've been there. And you could pray and you could speak into that with that faith. I'm going to give you the green light to do that today. If you don't, then I don't want you to itch to pray for no one. But it's only because you know what this season is like. You know what the wilderness is like. You know what it is to pray for hope. And you could just get along one of these people and just speak into them and pray for them. I invite you to do that. Why not? That's what the family's for. Lord, we give you this moment today. Hallelujah.